Welcome to the Climate Pelicans Brief, a podcast bridging the gap between climate science and Louisiana frontline communities. I'm Corinne Salter. And I'm Jill Tapitza. Join us as we disentangle environmental justice issues facing Louisiana using peer-reviewed science as well as the voices and lived experiences of community leaders. Our goals are to uplift activist platforms and raise awareness about the many environmental puzzles in Louisiana. While contextualizing everything through the lens of climate crisis mitigation. Welcome to another episode of Climate Pelicans Brief. Whether you're new to the environmental movement, a regular recycler, or a veteran activist, you've probably noticed a shift in our energy sector toward electrifying the future. Ads for electric vehicles, housing advertising electric stovetops, and talk of electrifying our nation through a resilient power grid have been ever-present in the last few years. In this episode, you can expect to learn why. Why is it so important that we boost the capacity of our power grid and transition away from things like gas-powered cars? Does using electricity when the power from your socket still comes from a fossil fuel-burning plant even matter? How is the electrification related to our transition to renewable energy? If you're curious, keep listening. We'll also follow up this episode with a conversation about the importance of a just transition with Megan Bevan, the founder of Louisiana-based nonprofit True Transition. So let's dive in. So as a starting point, we know we're facing a difficult climate crisis, and we know the only way to hit our targets and avoid the worst impacts of climate change is to drastically and quickly reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. So as we mentioned before, to avoid the 1.5 degrees Celsius, lots of cities and states use climate action plans to guide themselves into meeting national targets and sometimes challenge themselves to exceed them. Portland is a good example, and Louisiana actually has one, actually the only one in the Deep South. Air horns for that. Yeah, we go have, Louisiana. Go, we love to have a plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so the Climate Action Plan in general, as well as in Louisiana, contains information about where we're at in terms of climate and where we should go. So it's just a plan. There is a lot of implementation that's still needed um, mm-hmm. in order to make things come to fruition, but it is the first step is always having a plan in place. Right. And we have one. Um, it's not perfect. We'll get into that. But you know what? Just like Taylor Swift says, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. <laughs> <laughs> so when you quote this one. <laughs> um, so in Louisiana, our greenhouse gas breakdown is extremely different from the national average, as you can probably guess. Our industrial sector counts for a whopping 66% of the state's greenhouse gas emission compared to the national average of only 17%. Transportation emissions in Louisiana are 19%, Mm. electricity is 13%, and residential is only 1%. So that is how Mm. the Louisiana breakdown is. Very top-heavy when it um, comes to industry. Yeah. So this highlights the need to cut emissions in industry and transportation and to quickly decarbonize that electricity. Um, and this is tough because the action that you take as an individual to like green up your home, mm-hmm. things that you might do as like a California citizen, um, increasing the um, insulation in your home and transitioning to using like an electric stovetop instead of a gas one. Um, these individual actions that you take are still important, but um, passing policy that limits these two big sectors 
um, in the fossil fuels that they use is going to be the most efficient way to get our state's emissions under control. Hmm. Um, So at first it might seem like um, this whole issue contain like as it pertains to industry is very much out of the individual's control. Mm -hmm. But something we always want to get across in this podcast is that individuals can really influence policy. Yeah. Especially in our state, Louisiana, we have such a small population. So Mm. it's kind of like every person counts. Right. We're not contributing quite as much um, to greenhouse gas emissions as industry, but our decisions and the way we push our policymakers do matter. Right. that's encouraging. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll talk in the future about civic engagement, including participa- participation in public comment periods, speaking with your representatives, and more. But the bottom line is that individuals have power in Louisiana, and we can learn how to harness ours to push for local environmental changes, like electrification. Yeah, and I love that you really um, call attention to the fact that even though individuals aren't really contributing as much to emissions, it doesn't mean that we can't still do something as individual citizens to actually encourage um, changes at like the higher level emitters, like industry and transportation. Like we have, we have a voice, and you know, if we know these things, we are better educated to be able to move forward and actually do something about that. So I'm really glad that we're highlighting that. Absolutely. And just to clarify, this is like in terms of percentage mm-hmm. of our contribution to greenhouse gas emissions. So I'm not saying like, go ahead and drive your big trucks everywhere, right. <laughs> et cetera, because like Louisiana individuals do contribute more to climate change than like, say, a person in another state with right. an electric vehicle or, you know, someone in a different country who doesn't have access to these same fuels. So I'm not saying go and do that. Mm-hmm. But by percentage, we need to cut in industry and transportation in yeah. order to um, bring our emissions under control as a state. Um, Yeah. And um, something else that's surprising is our fuel mix as well um, and a departure from the national average. So natural gas, which is more correctly fossil gas, since it's not anything that is found naturally on the surface of the planet of where we live, um, is 71.3% of our fuel mix. Compare that to the national average of 45.3%. Yeah. Very different, very, very very big difference. Um, Yeah, so quite a quite a big jump from the national average. Um, And the next largest sector sector in Louisiana is coal at about 11 percent compared to a nearly doubled national average of 20.7 percent. Um, And if you're not a numbers person, the takeaway here is that we need to reduce our reliance on number one, fossil gas, which is LNG, and two, coal in order to get our state's emissions under control. And Louisiana is also way behind in terms of rolling out renewables. Um, Louisiana fuel mix is about 1.8% renewables. That's solar, wind, and biofuel combined. So all of those three, all combined, it's only 1.8%. And that's compared with the national average of 15.3%. So we're kind of lagging behind. Yeah, (laughs) quite a bit. (laughs) And um, developing physical and policy infrastructure for renewables is what we want to focus on in this episode. And as a sunny state with access to offshore wind, Louisiana stands to gain a lot from this transition. And if we play our cards right, we can be a leading energy provider in the coming years. And that's something that we're going to be also discussing with Megan later on is that 
um, we don't really have to bribe these companies to come here. We have every opportunity and every resource at our disposal to be able to make Louisiana a leader in this transition and a just transition as well. Right. Absolutely. This is like we are no longer in this race to the bottom. I'm so excited. Like, so we want to bring across that this is a really positive and encouraging opportunity for us to take control over. Yes. And for us to seize power. I mean, if there's anything that we've been seeing in the past, um, however long, the past few months is that workers um, that are on the front lines can seize their power. They have a lot of power to be seized. And so we need to take advantage of that, especially at such um, a pivotal point in the transition movement towards renewable energy. I love that term, seize the power. I feel like I should get on a horse or something. Yes. No, it makes me, honestly, if you feel that way, do it. (laughs) Get on a horse. (laughs) Lead the charge. Um, But yeah, the national target set by the Biden-Harris administration is 100% carbon-free electricity by 2035. So if we want Louisiana to keep up with that, we need to ramp up that 1.8% that we currently have in renewable energy sources to 100% in the next 22 years, which is pretty ambitious, but... Or as close to 100 as possible. Yeah, as close to 100. Better than 1.8. I think we do a lot better than that. I think anything is better than that. Okay, so we talked about like where our greenhouse gas emissions are coming from, like what sectors, what the fuel mix is. So hopefully you guys have a better idea of like what the starting point is. So bearing that in mind, like what we need to do, the Louisiana Climate Action Plan was created. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was created by experts in this special climate task force. um, And those individuals on the task force were appointed by our current governor john bell edwards Mm -hmm. and their target is to hit 100 percent carbon neutrality by 2050 um so we can see there is a bit of a disparity between our louisiana target and the national target which is 100 percent carbon neutrality by 2035 so on the downside a target of 2050 is probably inadequate to avoid that dreaded 1.5 degrees celsius warming warning uh, warming. Warming, yeah. Warming. And a warning. We're giving you so, a warning. This is a warning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this whole podcast is a warning. Yes. Um, and on the upside, we have um, we have a plan. We have a plan um, for leading the energy sector within our state. Um, so let's dig into that a little bit more and specifically how electrification can help us hit that carbon neutrality. Yeah. Awesome. So electrification is an essential pathway to carbon neutrality in most places around the world. Um, That is a massive build out of our existing electrical grid with a focus on increasing its resilience. And in Louisiana, increasing resilience means making it hurricane proof and or making it easier to fix when hurricanes inevitably sweep through. Um, Electrification is reducing that number of non-point sources of fossil fuel emissions by building a vast number of new power facilities and hooking them up to this resilient new grid. Um, To visualize uh, what a non-point source is, think individual gas-powered cars and homes where the carbon emissions are more difficult to track versus a power plant that emits a ton of carbon from one location. 
and that's a pretty standard like environmental term mm-hmm. so put that one in your pocket for yeah. later <laughs> um and as we mentioned earlier electricity alone so the sector of electricity in louisiana accounts for 13 percent of our current carbon emissions mm-hmm. uh, so that means that it accounts for about 13 percent of our current energy usage and so our goal by 2050 or more realistically and hopefully 2035 mm-hmm. should be to increase electricity to as close to 100 percent um, energy usage as we can possibly manage. So taking, bringing those other sectors, yeah. probably not industry, that's a separate conversation, <laughs> but like <laughs> um, the other things like residential, transportation, things like that, pulling them into the energy or into the electricity sector so that we're kind of plugged into this one big grid. Yeah. And so we're going to build out this grid that connects energy facilities, power plants, etc., to every home in Louisiana. So say we get close to 100% electricity. That's cool. But if all the power plants are still LNG and coal, what does it matter? Are we still burning fossil fuels, which we've already decided is a major problem? Um, yes, yeah, so it is still a major problem. An encompassing and resilient electrical grid is only part of the battle here. If we're not on renewables, we still have this issue of burning fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. However, s- several studies state that getting off of point sources and onto an ele- or non-point sources and onto an electrical grid increases energy efficiency by about thirty percent. I think that was a Net Zero America twenty twenty report. Mm. So. Like just the difference of driving a gas-powered car versus driving an electric vehicle, even if your electricity is coming from like coal, which is not good, mm-hmm. that energy efficiency is around 30% better than you would get from just burning gas. Mm-hmm. Um, so by getting on this grid, not only are we setting ourselves up for the future, we're already starting to cut back on our use of fossil fuels. Okay. So moving, We're still moving toward our target. Right, yeah, which is better with, than where we're currently at. Right. Everything yeah. is an improvement in exactly. Louisiana. I love that we. it's, it's like only up from here. <laughs> yes, we. Ha- that means we have nothing but horizons ahead of us. We cannot lose anything. <laughs> uh, that's love. I, you know Actually, what? we can lose a lot, but... Optimism. 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 (laughs) So what's next after we build out this grid? Because we know that increasing fossil fuel efficiency is not sufficient to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. We have to phase them out completely. Um, Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, So this is like phase two Mm -hmm. after we build the grid. Well, not actually phase two because all of this should realistically be, be being worked on by people at the same time as we race to the 2035 national target or and or the 2050 louisiana target but once we have this built grid built out we can start to decommission those existing fossil fuel burning plants so like your coal plants your lng Mm -hmm. and start to replace them with renewables yeah and so with that being said some of our listeners might be wondering why can't we maintain the same infrastructure we have and just transition to renewables and that's a great question i think that's like the basis of like why electrification is such an essential step mm-hmm. to carbon neutrality um although wind and solar which are the two main renewables we're going to focus on um for the course of this episode are economically feasible as well as scalable at this point in time to be rolled out we can't use them in the same way that we might emit from non-point sources right now Yeah, gotcha. So we basically can't expect to take a road trip with a wind turbine or solar panel strapped to our car. Not a long one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Exactly. So it's most practical to build out all new wind and solar farms um, all over the country. This is going to be a massive build out, by the way. Like the scale of this is really enormous. Um, So 
it's most practical to build out all these new wind and solar farms, then connect them up to our existing grid while decommissioning existing fossil fuel burning plants a little bit at a time. Mm, Okay. So we're really just setting up this grid so that it can handle renewables. Right. Okay. That's the point. Yeah, so this uh, sounds not as horrifying as the opposition um, against renewable energy might want to make it sound. Yeah, people love to take an issue. They just love to get in there and stir the pot. Right. Um, and I, it would be a lie if I said it wasn't going to take an enormous and concerted effort from pretty much the entire country. But it isn't some pie-in-the-sky idea in the same way that false solutions like carbon capture mm-hmm. are. It's actually a practical plan that's going to take some serious legwork. And it's going to be hard, but if we have people on board and we have, you know, strategic planning, like Megan's going to talk about later in the next right. episode, um, we can we can do this, right? Guys, and we can do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it took us a lot of planning to get to this point, so exactly. why can't we just go in a different direction? Exactly. Yeah. So as a country and as a state, we're going to just have to go through that tunnel and pretty much just make it to the other side. Go through that tunnel, y'all. Can't go around it. Let's do it. Gotta go through it. (laughs) Yes. Love that. Um, So we're getting really excited about this future in renewables, and we hope that we're laying the framework for all of you listeners to understand why electrification, so building out that resilient grid, Mm -hmm. is so necessary for our transition off of fossil fuels. Yes. Okay. So it does sound like a very big change, and it needs to be quick. So how can we get this done? Love that can-do attitude. So for this, I'd like to cite one of my favorite environmental policy researchers, Dr. Leah Stokes, who is a researcher at UC Santa Barbara in the Department of Political Science. Um, Major girl crush here. I read everything by Leah Stokes. She's fantastic. Um, In several of her research articles, she identifies that these large energy bills um, think the bills that go through Congress when passed pave the way for renewables to get a foothold in the energy sector mm. and one of her papers uh, in 2018 cites case studies from California which makes sense because California has been a US energy leader mm-hmm. in the transition for years and the rest of the country is now just kept, uh, catching up Mm. So large energy bills are those that often include funding for renewable projects, notably the Inflation Reduction Act, which passed through U.S. Congress in 2022, which is one such bill. And we have a major part of this funding already secured. So that's already a big part of the battle. We already have money going towards it. So Right. Step one of the big change. Yeah. Dr. Stokes says that there needs to be these big energy policy bills that sort of pave the way for this. And we we have that. It's yeah. not perfect. It went through Congress. So it obviously like got a major haircut. Right. <laughs> a really. That's a nice way of putting it. Ugly haircut. But like <laughs> like maybe a bowl cut. There was but. <laughs> like, a, like a green bowl cut. <laughs> like, yeah. Or just like, I don't know, maybe a mullet. I don't know. <laughs> An aggressive haircut. That's it was like when I, I okay, so I gave myself this really bad haircut. Oh no, <laughs> this is embarrassing. But like, I gave. I'm sorry, side tangent here. Um, I gave oh no, I cut my hair myself, and I was like, I'm gonna take out nine inches at once, and I cut my hair. Oh my god! And I sort of did this like big sweeping motion with scissors, <gasps> and I ended up giving myself a mohawk. No, I'm sorry, not a mohawk, a mullet. And it was like bangs all around my head. And I was like, this is the most horrifying thing I've ever done to myself. This, like, IRA after it got passed, like, that was the picture that came to mind. I'm not going to share that in public, but I do still have the picture. It's the worst to remind myself never to do that again. It it took me two years to grow it out enough where I didn't have to, like, 
pin it yeah no. so that so if you want like a visual for what the ira as it stands looks like and like the parts of it that provision for energy resources just picture me with like a, a mullet that is so funny so it's like if congress gave themselves a haircut pretty, pretty much. much and it's like it's better than nothing it's it's there's a lot there there's oh, a lot gosh. of good stuff there and we we didn't think it was actually gonna get passed so um it's a it's so it's here it's here it's not perfect yeah but we're gonna we're gonna use what it's we like, can you're not bald the hair's still there <laughs> so <laughs> let's work let's work with what we got yeah um so yeah so the IRA, although imperfect was a huge win for climate advocates um and in addition to these big federal bills uh, we need local co- cooperation and local legislation at um, that at best keeps the road clear for renewables to take over mm. and at the least does not block them from right. replacing fossil fuels. So we have this funding. There's obviously a lot of planning and implementation that needs to, to go into yeah. making these decisions actually happen on the ground. Yeah. And if we know Louisiana, we know that mm. we have a very sticky relationship with fossil fuels. And so I'm kind of getting the sense that maybe Louisiana is trying to block some of this um, replacement of fossil fuels. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. And we don't yeah. really have story time. <laughs> I don't want to dampen the mood, but there is a lot of biting the hand that feeds them going on here, mm. which we'll get into. Um, but let's talk. So we have funding. We mm-hmm. have a plan. Yes. Um, let's talk about one of the major policy mechanisms that can pave the way for renewables, aside from just these large energy bills that allocate funding, since we already have that in place. So, like, let's talk about at least, well, I've got one major policy recommend or mechanism that we can use for this. Okay, yeah. So, we've got a really infinite amount of creative planning opportunities that we can choose to try to push for for a renewables transition. Um, we're not going to provide an exhaustive list, but we can just explain a few of the ones that have a strong record of success. Yes. These things, like, they are not untested. Yeah. These are tried and true. Um, so the policy me- mechanism we want to focus on is called a renewable portfolio standard or an RPS. And the basic idea is that the government enforces a gradual change in energy sources through utility companies. So again, this is tried and true. It's been implemented by 37 states, including DC hmm. so far. And according to the EPA, 12 of those states that have RPS um, have a goal of reaching 100% clean energy by 2050 or sooner. So basically that what that means is that a government dictates to a utility company that they have to increase their sales of renewable energy by a certain percentage. So if a utility company is selling an energy mix to its, com- com- to its customers with 1.8% per- renewables, an, in- an agreement can be reached that says they need to bump that up by, say, 2 to 3% per year until they reach 100%. And this can be based off the availability of renewables in an area and an RPS is usually implemented on a state level and about 68% of the RPS demand is met by wind energy across the U.S. We love the wind. Yes. And that's a, that's a great resource that we have here. So that's pretty encouraging since we are currently seeing a wind energy build out offshore in Louisiana. It's like we're setting up this change and we're actually like seeing these things happen on the ground. Yeah. Like the conditions are met. Preconditions are met. We have funding. We have a big build outs happening. I'm getting excited. Um, but Louisiana does not currently have an RPS. 
However, mm-hmm. it can be implemented on a local level. The, like you said, that it's usually on the state level, mm-hmm. but it can be done on a local level. And that's exactly what the city of New Orleans has done. Mm. They actually have their own RPS. So we are in a great position to c- accommodate the build out of wind and use that energy to power our grid. Absolutely. And um, wind energy areas have been leased in several areas of the Gulf of Mexico. And for the first time in a while, we have someone in a seat of power who might push for change. And that is Public Service Commissioner Devontae Lewis, who was elected last year and is looking to implement RPS statewide. So go go Devontae. Love that. Like air horns, we love Devontae. <laughs> yes. He came to one of our rallies. Yes, he's so awesome. Um, yeah, we love him. Um, RPS was considered back in the 90s in Louisiana, but renewables at that time were too costly for the state to make that jump. Um, but that, and that's an argument that the opposition loves to make about this. They see renewables as expensive, but in reality, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah, renewables actually have gone down in cost over 88% since 2010. 88%. Yeah, that's no small amount. And that's a cold hard fact that you can just, once again, put in your pocket. You that's might like the amount of hair I lost when I cut. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you still had 12%. Okay. 12%. <laughs> and For a visual of how much the cost of renewables have gone down over time. <laughs> once again, think about Jill with a mullet. <laughs> If you hadn't thought of that enough already. I'm not going to bring it up again. (laughs) Never know. (laughs) So that tip actually puts the cost of renewables under the cost of coal and LNG, which just to compare that, yeah, puts that underneath our state's leading leading energy sources. Um, In addition to building out our, building out our our solar and wind energy facilities is quicker and cheaper than building out coal or LNG. Plus, no nasty pipelines that threaten the health of our coastline and the people who live there. Um, But make no mistakes, though, a transition to renewables and a build out of an electric grid is going to change the landscape of our state, given the scale that it needs to be done at to accommodate our energy needs. So that means that solar and wind farms are going to be all over the place. Um, Open fields on the side of the road, fields that may have previously grown food or housed livestock, Nooks and crannies basically alongside housing units, even some forested areas everywhere. If we are to survive climate change, people need to get used to looking at solar panels and wind turbines pretty much everywhere we go. So please don't be the person that shows up to city council meetings to oppose solar panels because they're ugly. Because in Louisiana, having our roof torn off by a hurricane exacerbated by climate change is going to be a lot uglier than the solar farm next door. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually, there was a recent... um article in the advocate about i can't remember what parish it was but they were like pushing against this solar farm because they were like it's ugly and they kind of won and i love i love it when the public participation is fully a great thing it's the part of the democratic process part democracy be that person who comes with like a solution in your pocket and (laughs) don't be that person who's just like I don't like it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it just doesn't look good. But it's like, if we didn't need this much energy for our state, if we didn't have these high demands for energy, then we wouldn't need that many. And like, you know, that's a whole nother conversation to be had. Exactly. That's why education on this issue is so important, because if you don't understand how important it is, then you know, anyone might show up and be like, I mean, are they most attractive? I mean, I would be really excited to live next to a solar farm, but um, 
I would be excited about a lot of things right. that maybe a lot of people yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't like jump out of their seat about. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> that's okay, you know. Maybe we'll be the ones living right next to them. I hope so. <laughs> um, so I'm feeling really positive about this. Um, our state has access to funding through the IRA to build out these new wind and solar facilities. We have the natural resources that is wind and sunlight. None of this like, oh, we're rich in oil, blah, blah, blah. We're, right. we're past that. That's yeah. so like 1945. <laughs> to, so we have the natural resources, wind and solar, to attract new companies to build those out. Mm-hmm. And we have a public service commissioner who is pushing for a policy with a high success rate and the build out of a more resilient electrical grid to accommodate it. Yeah. Um, but is there anything in the Louisiana Climate Action Plan about RPS? Mm, Yes, but there's a big caveat to it. The language used in the plan says that the state will reach 100% clean or renewable electricity by 2035, complying with federal standards. Renewable energy, though, is is defined as solar, wind, geothermal, the usual suspects, but clean energy is defined as nuclear, bio-waste, and fossil gas with carbon capture. Oh, okay. And nuclear is a totally different conversation. Mm -hmm. But since most of our, if we're going back to that original number of our existing fuel mix, remember 71% approximately comes from gas and LNG. You can kind of see that they're planning to just put little carbon capture hats Mm -hmm. on existing facilities, call it clean energy, even though everything we know about climate justice suggests otherwise. There's nothing clean about this technology. You're right, exactly. And we know that existing carbon capture technology does not actually reduce emissions, nor has it ever been implemented on a meaningful scale. So we've got a whole episode on this. Carbon capture is not really clean energy, and it's actually considered a false climate solution. Um, and the, the task force member and local activist Colette Pichon Battle agrees with us here. All over the Louisiana Climate Action Plan, which she was a part of producing, she calls this misuse of the term clean energy and she calls it out basically the entire time and opposes it pretty much every time it's brought up because it's basically just once again a greenwash term that is meant to mystify the processes that they're using to address this and what they're actually their approach is to the climate action plan and basically making it easier for um, the same fossil fuel companies that have been creating the issue that we're literally trying to address here the climate crisis that we're trying to address basically allowing them to continue business as usual and just call it clean yeah yeah so that's that's a big caveat Mm -hmm. but before we get too upset by this the state also makes a specific target for 80 percent renewable electricity by 2035 so that is actually pretty uplifting and it gets us most of the way where they want us to be they're Mm -hmm. trying to use this whole like fossil gas is like a bridge to whatever like blah 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 Mm. you know i don't buy it nope nobody buys it well, a lot of people no. buy it actually but <laughs> i don't buy it but it, i'm glad that they do have this 80 percent plan because like you know that last 20 percent is going to be difficult to tackle yeah. um but getting us most of the way there is should be the priority yeah. right now since we're at 1.8 percent. Right. we've got plenty of ways to go up right um so let's go back to our breakdown of greenhouse gas emissions by sector 
Mm-hmm. If we electrify, we mostly decarbonize residential, transportation, electricity, etc. So what about that 66% of our greenhouse gas emissions? That's industry emissions. Yeah, so the Louisiana Climate Action Plan has a specific plan with four major strategies for industrial decarbonization. We're going to dedicate a whole episode to understanding these strategies in the future, but for now, just remember that electrification is an essential step for decarbonization carbonizing Louisiana, but because our state's uh, greenhouse gas emissions are dominated by industry, that made the majority of emissions, that 66% basically, still needs to be addressed if we are to avoid the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming. So let's circle back on this later. And before we close out, we want to address a crucial component of our state's transition to renewable energy and our phase out of fossil fuels. And that is our workforce. Mm. We have a stellar and skilled workforce of energy providers, and most of whom currently work for oil and gas industry. Mm. Um, A lot of them are contractors. Yeah. Um, But the tides are turning, and we realize that this transition can be really scary, especially when these workers are listening to the companies who they work for, telling them that this transition threatens their jobs and their livelihoods. Mm. So the bottom line that we want to get across here is that it doesn't threaten jobs. It doesn't threaten livelihoods. We need our workforce to make this transition, and with strategic and careful planning, we can actually use this pivot as an opportunity to improve wages, working conditions, and the safety of this workforce in this new age of electricity powered by renewables. Yeah, and I love that you included that in there because honestly, the only thing that threatens jobs and livelihoods are billionaires and not (laughs) not moving to renewables, especially the way that we're trying to discuss it in the ways that a lot of people are trying to propel forward, such as Megan Biven, who we're going to be talking to next week, and creating this just transition that does include work workers on that are literally going into these workplaces every single day. It's going to include them, and it's going to be a just transition for everyone and not for the billionaires. So the only people that are threatening jobs and livelihoods are them. So The future is not theirs. Yeah. Let's be don't, there. Don't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, we have a conversation with Megan Biven coming up next where we discuss the justice aspect of this transition and how our energy workforce has the opportunity to be stronger than ever. So stay tuned for that episode, please, because Louisiana, we have a lot to offer and we we are hard workers. We have a great workforce. And if anything, they should be begging us to be here and not right? the opposite way around. Exactly. We're going to get into a heated discussion. No, between us but like a heated interview <laughs> with impassioned. Megan. yes megan biven is a very impassioned yes. and wise person with a lot of experience so we cannot wait to share that episode with you um but as we close out we want to end with our cacas to action um this week we want to emphasize the importance of being on board with electrification even with the state's intent to decarbonize our grid and build it out there are a lot of decisions that need to be made about it on a local mm-hmm. level between now and and 2035. These decisions are always more soundly made when the public participates. So this week, we would like to invite our listeners to find out who their state and local representatives are. Yes. If you're a Louisiana resident, you can go to www.legis.la.gov mm-hmm. slash 
legis <laughs> slash findmylegislators.aspx. Sorry, that's really long. We'll put it in the show notes. But yes. basically go to this website, enter your address, and you'll find a list of your U.S. senators, house reps, Louisiana state house and reps um, are there too. For example, my reps are U.S. Senators Bill Cassidy and John Kennedy, House Representative Garrett Graves, Louisiana Senator Franklin Foyle, mm-hmm. and Louisiana House Rep Scott McKnight. Literally all Republicans, which should be fun. Mm-hmm. And if you're from another state, your state government website should have a similar process. So check that out. You can also find out who your city council members are from like participating in these local decisions. These yeah. people are usually a little easier to reach. Mine is Jennifer Rocca, and I found that out through brla.gov because i live in baton rouge um so look up a list of your representative representatives and write down their contact info because we are going to use them in the future yes love that get to know them you're gonna get very um very cozy yeah cozy and you know (laughs) you're gonna be informed and you're gonna have things to say to them yeah so (laughs) yeah write down just write down their contact info this week guys that's all we want you to do um so thank you for joining us thank you thanks (laughs)